you very much for that half-hearted appreciation. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that was awesome, Sophie. That was also our first time. That was amazing. Come on, let's give her another round of applause. I just want to say, it's not the first time we've done a men's event. <laughs> Church has been going for 20 years, but you know, <laughs> we realise, no, it's not the first time, but it's the first time on this new season, as Brian and Ruth taking those pastors, a whole new season. Uh, Brian and Ruth are now the outreach pastors for Aberdeen and Inverness. And uh, so this is an exciting new season. It's going to be an amazing time. Really, really excited by that. And uh, seeing what God is doing. Amen? Fantastic. Uh, just encourage you uh, to get booked in to the Scottish Conference. Um, it's booking up fast, so get in uh, quickly. As all Christians, we, are, we, just, we just live in the realm of grace and assume that everything will just be there for us. And uh, so uh, I encourage you to get signed in because it is filling up fast. Uh, and I encourage you to get filled in for that. I'm uh, really, really looking forward. It's going to be an amazing, amazing uh, couple of days. It's actually not actually two days. It's about, it's just it's slightly under 24 hours. It's Thursday night and then Friday during the day. So you only need to take a day off work um, and uh, pull a sickie. It's okay. Jesus doesn't mind. And uh, so... Um, <laughs> And uh, so I really, I really encourage you to come along to that. We're continuing our Big Word series. And uh, who's enjoying the Big Words? So I uh, just, really, just really encourage you to, to get... Um, if you can um, want to hear those messages, uh, download. Um, Aaron spoke on Sunday night. Um, and it was an extraordinary message on the law of faith. Um, and um, it just really was um, a great, great uh, message. And I encourage you to listen to those. Um, you know, the big words are, are simply the words that we use. Some of them are not very big, um, but they are words which we use without much concept of thought. Some of the words we used, last week on Sunday morning I spoke on propitiation, which you have to say carefully in case you spray someone in the face. But propitiation is a big word uh, which we don't use at all. It, it only appears a few times, but it's basically it is about the... the the offering that Christ made, a, a, an offering which was suitable for, the, uh, for the, the, the price that needed to be paid. And, and so I spoke last Sunday on propitiation, and, um, but there are some words which we use. I, I started the series on, uh, use on the gospel, and so we begin to go through some of these words and begin to understand what they really mean because we use them without any thought. Or, and so the power of these words get lost in our life. But words are important. Amen? We, we, we can sometimes, um, in today's culture, today's culture is about, is about ease. It's about making life easy for ourselves. We have a language which is constantly evolving into, it's a little bit lazy. We don't use the... Um, we don't use words um, that, that are more uh, descriptive words um, because we're trying to want to shorten everything down a bit and uh, make it a bit more quick and easy. But what happens when you, when you, when you simplify a language is you take the power out of it. Um, when I go to Denmark a lot, and uh, in Denmark um, they have a much smaller language base. They don't have many uh, da- as many Danish words as they do um, as they do English words so they'll be speaking away in Danish and then in comes an English word because they don't have the word for it and uh, and in fact um, if, if I would use the word awesome I could say marvelous awesome wonderful fantastic they have one word fantastic 
Fantastic. And so I will sometimes deliberately, while preaching, the translator has to, I'll use all of the descriptive words and just watch them go on repeat. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. They've got nothing else to say because they don't have, they don't have any other word in Danish. And, which is brilliant because uh, everyone in Denmark speaks English anyway. And, um, so, but words are really, really important and, and understanding what those words are. This morning's word um, is, uh, is it's actually three words and they're probably the shortest words that we've got. Uh, and I'm speaking on the will of God. Now, the will of God is not a big word in terms of its understanding, in terms of its meaning or, or the size, but it is a huge word in terms of our understanding of how it works in our lives. And I believe that the will of God is perhaps one of those concepts most misunderstood or ones that causes most confusion or doubt or wonder about what is the will of God. And a lot of people are wondering what the will of God It reminds me when I was a kid at school, um, I... Um, I remember going from, who remembers going from primary school to senior school? Who remember, you remember that process. I think it's, a, it's scarred in all of us, isn't it? It's that the primary school is just this innocent, happy, everybody's friends with everybody else. There's, there's one or two kids you don't like too much, but it doesn't cause you any problems. And you go from this happy environment, you have one teacher and one classroom, and it's a small school, and then you go to senior school. And it's like you've just gone from the village to the metropolis. You've gone from this, and you feel lost. I remember 11 years of age, going from this small school of 70 children to a school of 1,800 pupils. This vast school of kids running around everywhere. It was also a bit of a... It wasn't in of itself a terrible school, but it was, it was the school where they put all the bad kids that weren't working in other schools. And uh, so it had some very bad elements to it. And uh, so, so I got sort of sucked into that. And in the process, I kind of got a little bit lost in that whole process. I remember just sort of getting sort of swept along. There were 300 kids in my year alone. And um, I was just uh, a faceless name. I was just part of the process. They just wanted me to get me through the system. um, And that's all they were trying to do at the time. And so I remember, but I remember I had an English teacher called Mr. Hodgkinson, who remembers there, there are some teachers, you can still remember them, can't you? Because they hurt you badly, didn't they? And, and Mr. Hodgkinson hurt me physically. And uh, it was, uh, I discovered corporal punishment with Mr. Hodgkinson. Before then, I didn't realize it was legal. And I, I, had, I had just discovered it was yet to be made illegal. And uh, Mr. Hodgkinson was a man about to explode. He had a red face and he was red because inside he had a boiling rage. And he wanted to just, he, he just, you just needed to, to trigger him. He was like, he was like a, a pussy spot waiting to blow. He was, he was just in a rage. And, and you would discover his rage if you did something terrible, like write the title of your essay on the wrong line. You had to draw a pencil line across with your ruler And then you had to count two lines down, then write the title. If you put it, the third line down or the first line down, after the previous essay, which that line had to be two lines from the end, then then one line, then the title. If you got that wrong, you got your ears boxed. I got my ears boxed a lot. Because for some reason, I just, I don't know, I would panic. (sighs) 
oh no, it's the wrong line. I pretend I'm working like this, you know. And he would just, and sometimes he would just self-combust anyway. It was kind of like, he didn't even need you to do the, he would just blow up in the class. It would just be Mr. Hodgkinson everywhere. And the, the thing I discovered with Mr. Hodgkinson was that he, he was in such a rage because the kids weren't doing what he wanted us to do. And he had one way of doing it, and that was his way. And there was no other way. There was his way, or there was certain death. And that was basically it. And, and that was his process of the way he used to teach. Needless to say, I didn't learn much English. And there's a reason for that. I lived in fear. When you live in fear, you can't learn anything. You know, the whole time, you're trying to work out how to avoid being beaten. How to avoid being taken. I wasn't the smartest kid in the class. And so I wasn't able to keep up with what he wanted us to do. And so I couldn't follow uh, the pace at which he wanted us to read the novels. I couldn't follow those things. And so instead of being, uh, instead of, um, being taken care of, I was beaten instead. And uh, that was the process. But you know what? It didn't do me any harm. And, and <laughs> but you know, the, the bottom line is, His will was his will and there was no other way. The problem we have with God is we think that God's will is this certain predestined path that we have to follow on upon which there is his will or certain death. Are you with me here? And you may write me... You might rewrite that certain death with, well, his grace, etc. But we all know there is God's way and then there's, there's not his way. And we know what you choose the wide path or the narrow path. If you were raised in Sunday school, like I was raised in a traditional church environment that taught that the certain, there was a certain fear to, not, to just walking in the, the will of God. In fact, at the end of every message, they would say, and next week... God willing. Who was raised in a church where that was? Next week, God willing. And it would be like, what, do you suppose it's next? He wills that won't be a next week? <laughs> this certain fear. It was, it was all ordained around fear. It was this predestined. Now, predestination is, I'm not preaching on predestination. Um, and some, some people are raised, I was raised in a, church that taught on predestination. Let me give you this though, just for you to understand it. The word predestined doesn't mean predetermined. Predetermination is a secular, worldly concept upon which humanism is actually based. You have to understand that predetermination. If you get into, if you get into humanism, if you get into that whole process they believe in a predetermined process which people have no choice. They've just got to follow it out. That enables people to actually manipulate and control others and say, it's predetermined. It's in your DNA. It's the way you evolved. Are you with me here? So predestination has been preached as predetermination. In other words, God has predetermined everything that takes place. And there's a problem with that kind of doctrine. Because if God predetermined everything, it's clear He doesn't love you. 
if he predetermined everything, it's clear he doesn't love anybody. Are you with me here? And it's clear he doesn't love you because if he loved you, you would have a choice. But if there's the will of God and then there's your will, then where is the choice? And if there is no choice, I mean, you know, I could give Cheryl the choice. so She doesn't have a choice to love me. She has to. But <laughs> the only basis for our marriage is because we chose to love each other. The moment a relationship starts to go, and you hear a lot about it in today's society, the moment a relationship goes into a place and gets to a point where someone is starting to manipulate the other person for their own benefit, it's called abuse now. Everything's abuse. And everything is so they've got this level of abuse. And probably to some degree, some of it is, and a lot of stuff is abusive because people are very manipulative of the way. But the, clear, the point of manipulation is there is no choice. I was forced to do it. I was manipulated. I was twisted into making a decision I didn't choose to make. So how do you process the will of God? How do you, how do you get the will of God? It says in 1, 2 Timothy, sorry. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Suddenly we're introduced to the will of God, according to the promise of life. The Bible says, that he who has life, shall, he who believes in me shall have life, and life abundantly. There is a process of living in Jesus Christ, which is according to life, not according to control. If, there is, if God's will controls my life, I don't have a life. I am a machine. I am a tool for His purpose and nothing else. But God created me unique and individual. He created me in in. All of his wisdom, he created Kevin Upton. I know you could doubt that. You can wonder, what was he thinking? Why did he make... Why? How does that brain even work? God created me to have my own mind. He created you to have a mind. Did he create you to have a mind so that you can't... But you're not allowed to use it? You're not allowed to think. You're not allowed to choose. You're not allowed. How does it work? The Bible says here that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, people think of the will of God in two two ways. This is the first way. What is God's will for my life? God's will for my life. What is God's will? Should it be? I remember listening to a message and the preacher was saying, this is some years ago, the preacher was saying, God willed that I wore my blue trousers, not my brown ones. <laughs> you know, I want you to know right now, God doesn't care. He doesn't care what trousers you wear. Honestly. As long as you wear trousers. <laughs> he cares about that. He doesn't care blue or brown. Right? Some people want to know, well, what is the will of God? Should I, should I take this road to work or that road to work? What is the will of God? What is the will of God? 
which job I should take. What is God's will? How should I do this? And we think of the will of God in terms of the material benefit for which it will reap back to me in the way I live my life. In other words, if I live according to God's will, then if I do this and this and this, this will benefit me. So we think of the will of God in terms of how it benefits us, not how it benefits God. We think of God as the beneficiary of our behavior of his will. So in other words, if I do A, B and C because this is God's will, this is how I get blessed and then God is happy because he's got me where he wants me but more importantly, I'm blessed. That's how people think of the will of God. That's how people think in terms of what does God want for my life? What, what is God saying about my life? The other way people think of the will of God is they think of it in terms of political. They think of the 10 Downing Street type. What government has God ordained? What, what political scene around the world has God ordained? But here's the problem with that kind of thinking. is That kind of thinking is very light on scripture. Now the Bible does speak about these things. But they actually only play a secondary role to the true purpose of understanding the will of God. In other words, what happens on the political scene and what happens on the personal scene of your own life is actually the after effect of living in the will of God. Not living in the will. It's not the first thing that happens. It's the second. Are you with me here? In other words... The benefit for your life in understanding the will of God is the fruit that grows on the tree, not the growing of the tree. Understanding the will of God is growing the tree. Are you with me here now? And I want to encourage you, I want to show you this morning how to grow a fruitful tree that produces great blessing in your life. God's will for your life is learning how to grow the tree that produces blessing for your life. It's how we grow a tree in a country that produces blessing in a nation. How do we influence people for blessing around the world? How do we turn circumstances and situations where God wants His word and His promises to take place? The Bible says... That the will of God is according to God's, Christ's promise of life. And Christ's promise of life hasn't been, hasn't been predetermined. It hasn't been, it has been predestined. Now I want to add something else here because I don't want to confuse you. If I, would, if I had a million pounds, I would predestine when I die that that million pounds would go to my children. (laughs) I would predestine that. But, supposing one of my children decided to live a more pernicious and destructive lifestyle, would they get the money that I had predestined for them? No, they wouldn't. Because even though I had chosen them to be blessed, I could not afford to allow them to receive it. Are you understanding me here? You see, if they would get it anyway, it doesn't matter what you do, does it? You can live where you can just live where, however you like. Because God's going to give it to me. No. We have to make a choice to follow Christ. The will of God is about your heart attitude to Him. 
not about what God demands of you. Now look, I want you to turn with me, will you, to 1 Peter chapter 4. You see, we think of the will of God, we think of it as the what He wants. But we have to understand the will of God is not about the what, it's about the why. Alright? The will of God is not about the what. The what is the material. This is a material thing. What does God want to give me? Does He want to give me a lectern or a table? Does He want to give me a watch? A traditional watch or an Apple watch? Does He want me to have an Apple phone or a Samsung? Does He want me to have to work for BP or Shell? Does He want, want, to, does he want me to be a doctor or a nurse? Does he, there is a what, these are the what's in life. Are you with me? They're the material things, the, the overflow things. But, but the will of God is to do with the why. Go with me, will you, to 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, reverence, drinking parties, and idolatries. I've got the wrong teeth in. Right. Okay. In regards to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. This is the thing about the world, the secular world. They don't get the reason why you live the life you live because you don't live life like they do. Cheryl and I recently went to, um, or last summer we went to our neighbours. They often have barbecues. Um, just with there's a, where we live, it's very as you know, I've said before, in the countryside, and there's a group of six houses. We can't isolate it from anywhere else, and so we get together and we're all good friends. But for the rest of our neighbours, apart from our, our close next door neighbours, they don't do church. They don't they don't understand church. They're um, they're lovely people, but quite of the world, and they don't get it. And not what happens in the world is not only one that when, when they don't get it. They don't work, I can't work out why you don't do what they do. And then they're offended that you don't do what they do because they feel it's an insult to what they do. That you're not ratifying their choices. The will of God isn't about blue trousers or brown trousers. The will of God is about your heart toward Him. It's the why, not the what. And your heart towards Him isn't when you get up in the morning. It's not about a choice. Should I take this way to work or that way to work? The choice is, how is my heart toward Him? This is the will of God, that we would live our heart for Him. And out of your heart for Him, we discover our life in God. You see, the will of God is for you. The will of God is for you to know the values of God. The will of God is for you to know the values of God. What does God want me to do? Well, what does God want you to know? See, what you know is what flows out of you. I used to be a cabinet maker. I used to make furniture. I know how to make furniture. In my workshop, 
It's always getting messed up. Joe's been home for a few days. It's now got bicycles in there. Joe and Boaz have been in my workshop and they've turned it upside down. And now I've got... But actually, they tidied it in the process because I'd been making stuff and I hadn't put tools away. So they come along. It's now got bicycles everywhere in different states of disrepair. And, and so... But in my workshop, I've got... To, I know how to make furniture. Because I know how to make it, I can. What you know flows out of you. When you know, people say, well, you say to, say to a child how to behave, but if they don't know it, it's, if it's not in there, it can't come out. What you know to do flows out of you. Now the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, I want you, this is an amazing verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everyone say Transformed. Transformed is a big word, isn't it? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now the thing about proof, proof is a big word. For science, it's a big word because proof in science, to prove something, you've got to be able to take a set of experiments, repeat them and get the same result. To prove it. So how do we prove the will of God? By taking our heart and our mind and renewing in God, what flows out of us is the repeatable process of a heart and a mind that is flowing in the presence of God and can easily do what God wants of us. So what God wants of us naturally flows out of the heart that has been renewed. It naturally flows out of the mind that has chosen to live their life for Christ. So what is happening is that Christ fills your heart and fills your mind and you make a choice. You make a choice. Think of it like this. Those of you who are married, this is an easy thing for you to think about. There are moments in a married life when you love someone dearly and then other moments when you're a little bit annoyed. Isn't there? Just a little bit, I know, no, I know. Ruth's not here, you can't say anything you want to. You can only be honest when they're there, otherwise it looks bad, doesn't it? It's like there's a problem. So, so you love them desperately and will do anything for them, but there are moments... When in those like special times, when you just take out time with your husband and your wife, you take out time and you spend a little bit of time. When you spend a little bit of time with them, your heart and your mind connects to them in a way where in life you just kind of, you're not apart, but you're not thinking of each other in such spe- special terms. Is that true? You're looking at me like you've never done that before. <laughs> Trust me, take your wife on a date. Just, just take her out for a meal. Buy her some flour. Do something sweet. Spend more than five minutes chatting her up, thinking that will work. <laughs> All right? So in other words, spend a little time together. When you spend time together, this is what happens. Your mind gets renewed to each other. Once your mind's renewed to each other, your behavior changes. But it wasn't manipulated. It was your choice. Because you go... I want to buy this for you. 
I want to give this for you. I want to do this for you. I want to make this. You suddenly are living your life according to their will, their need, their desire. You are aligning your heart and mind. Why? Because you love them. When we renew our mind in Christ, we restore our heart and a relationship with Him. And we choose... We choose. God doesn't choose for us. We choose to make a choice of living our life for Him. That's how the will of God begins to work. Now, look at this. In Romans 8, 27. I've got so much to get through. Romans 8, 27, it says this. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he who makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is the crowning basis of the will of God. This this is the point that we're all coming to on understanding the will of God. If the will of God is not about the what, it's about the why then the will of God for your life is to just have a devoted relationship with Him. Are you with me here? That's the will of God. The will of God is for you to have a devoted relationship because when you have a devoted relationship, you change. Okay? You change. Your choices change. Your attitude changes. Your heart changes. Everything around you changes. You can be fed up, depressed and angry. You can be frustrated. You turn your heart toward God. None of your circumstances that made you fed up, annoyed or angry have changed. But you change and now everything else is changing around you. Is that not true? That's how it works. So the will of God changes you as you are devoted towards him. But now watch this. Because here's the thing that people get confused about. What is the will of God? Surely God has predestined or predetermined every action for my life. I got up in the morning, I drove the car. It was the will of God. It was the will of... No, it wasn't. I want you to know that stuff happens all over the place and God is not predetermining it. Because that's not how it works. If God did predetermine that, He wouldn't love you. He loves this world so much, He's given us, each one of us, the individual choice, choices to make. Are you with me here? Without those individual choices, there is no love. And so with the love of Christ working in our hearts, it says here, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. In other words, the will of God is to redeem every aspect of your life. We spend our whole life wondering, well, what is the right thing to do? What is the wrong thing to do? Well, I know that as I walk in the, in the love of God, the wisdom of God will flow through my heart and He will lead me, enable me to make good choices, but it will be my choice, not His. It's my choice. Now, He's advising me, He's leading me, He's saying, go on. Well, Kev, you know what? You've got three choices here. This is a really smart choice, but it takes a lot of faith. This is a kind of a... You can choose that one too, but you know, or you can just be a right dump head and you can do the wrong thing. You can make that choice if you want to, but if you go through it, you've got to go through the process too. But here's the thing. 
the Bible says that all things work together for good. Whatever choice I do make, whether I make a brilliant choice, a mediocre choice, or a downright stupid one, the redeeming nature of God's will is that His good purposes will be revealed in these circumstances and situations and He will lead me back to Him. In other words, the after effects, the effects of a stupid choice I will have to live through, but God will redeem it for me because that's how what His will is all about. The will of God is to redeem your life. The will of God is to redeem your marriage. The will of God is to redeem your finances. The will of God is to redeem all things. He has come to give His life that the world might be saved, that we might live in an abundance of life. And that is the will of God for you, that you might live in the abundance of it. God's will is to give you life and life abundantly. It is to redeem the hopeless circumstances. It is to redeem those stupid choices you made that you're regretting and you think, I I don't know how I ever did that. I want you to know that it doesn't matter how stupid you've been in the past, God will redeem it for you and enable you to come back into a place of faith so that you don't have to make another stupid choice. Because the problem with the world is once you've made a stupid choice, there is no escape. There's no option. It's predetermined. You're stupid. You're written off. Everyone gets written off, categorized, put in a category and set for life. But Jesus Christ has not predetermined you. He has predestined for you His will and His purposes that you might know what His grace and His love is for your life. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's stand up, shall we? Heavenly Father, I...